It's the E4 Otherbelly Podcast with Richard Melvin. Hello, everybody. It's me, Richard Melvin. We've just finished our very last podcast. (laughs) Yes, that's the team of professionals who put this all together. Um, What did we have on the show today? What started us off, Sean? Dean Alexander. I've got an impression. Uh, Yeah, do an impression. uh, Hey, what's up? My name's Dean Alexander. <laughs> this smells like my house. Okay, and then also, who did we have? Roisin, tell us. Deborah Francis White. Can you do an impression of her? I'll take that silence as a no. Al, who was this guy? Oh, Betty Ah! It was nice. <laughs> and then, do you remember Blue Peter? Finley. I remember Lou Peter, but I don't remember this lady. Ah, oh, too young. Janet Ellis, she was on the show, and then... We had a New York legend in the shape of Ledge. <laughs> yeah. But we started, we started the show with Paul Foote being incredibly wonky. Greetings. Uh, prior to an informal interview, I've been asked to say a few words. Uh, And what I wanted to discuss was uh, something that I've had a lot of concerns about recently, and that is living rooms. (laughs) Uh, I'm I'm very worried about the living room. Um, And, well, uh, I'm a bit nervous to say it, really, but uh, I think it's best just to get straight out with it. Um, Well... I'm nervous in case I got it wrong, but well, I, th- I think I've got this right. The living room, it is just somewhere you go when you can't think of anywhere else better to go in the house. <laughs> well, good, I'm, I'm glad to get the, that reaction, because as you could tell, I wasn't quite sure. Cause I should explain, you see. I've been alive for quite a few years now, <laughs> and I keep going into the living room, and I, and I keep thinking to myself, that there must be more to it than this. There must be something I've missed. So it's quite reassuring for me to get that reaction and to realise that I was right all along. And that the living room really is just somewhere you go when you, you basically can't think of anywhere else better to go. You know, you've ruled out all the other places in the house. You know, you've, you've, you've cooked something in the kitchen. Uh, you've eaten it in the dining room. Uh, you've been to the toilet. That was quite nice. You're, you're not in the bedroom mood yet. And... Obviously, social convention dictates that you can't just hang around the hall. <laughs> I mean, it's true, isn't it? We, we never linger in the hall, do we? It's, it's, it's the ultimate taboo. <laughs> so, in that situation, what we do is we go into the living room, don't we? And the procedure involving the living room is basically, as I understand it, as, as follows. And I'll sort of guide you through it through the use of a role play. Well, basically, basically, uh, you, uh, uh, you can't think of anywhere else to go in the house, uh, you can't go to the halls, unacceptable. So you go into the living room, and then you sit there, and you watch something on television that, if you're being honest with yourself, you're not really interested in. <laughs> and then you go out again. And that's it, really, isn't it? I mean, you know, you do that several thousand times, and then you die. I mean, I mean it, is, it is basically a sort of waiting room for death, isn't it? I, mean, I don't even know why it's called the living room. It really ought to be called the dying room, because it's a place of absolute morbidity and doom, isn't it? You just think, oh, I'm in the living room tonight. 
Oh, we're in a desperate situation. The living room. Oh. Everyone else is out living their lives, but I'm not. I'm in the inappropriately named living room, just sitting here. And then you think, oh, hang on, what's this coming up on television? Oh, an old episode of Murder, She Wrote. Yes, uh, that'll, fill up a, that'll fill up an hour prior to death. So that's what I wanted to say by way of uh, um, a few words. Now I will make my way from here where I've said the words to there where I will be interviewed in an informal capacity. Uh, hello, Paul. Hello, Richard. How are you today, Paul? I'm all right, thank you. Are you all right? I'm very well. I'm very well. I'm very delighted to see you. Have you had a good time this summer? Because we've certainly had a good time having you on this show. Have you enjoyed yourself? Oh, yes, yes, thank you. Yes, I've done my show and it's all gone well. And I'm sure you've done lots of other things apart from your show, Paul. You're never Yes, not absolutely. Busy. I've uh, put a beef bourguignon on this morning. <laughs> It's, uh, one of the reasons I was slightly delayed getting here is I was browning my meat to seal it and uh, I've done it with... Uh, I couldn't get any shallots because mm. it was late, late night, you see, in Sainsbury, normally I get a grocer. But I, I did it with mushrooms instead and I've poured in a bottle of red wine. And have you got another test one cooking at the same time to make sure... Have you got two on the go or is it just the one? Yeah, say? well, interesting you should say that about a test one. <laughs> yes, uh, I would normally... As with any scientific experiment, Absolutely. you must have a, a, a control. Mm. So, naturally, I've done one with, uh, with, with uh, the beef and the mushrooms, but just with water, not the wine. Ah. So then I'll, I'll eat the watery one, mm -hmm. and if, if it's confirmed, it's not, not very nice. Mm. And then I'll chuck away the proper one, obviously. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yes. is beef bourguignon your favourite of the beef products? I would say it's more of a beef creation. Mmm. Yes. But that is, it's, I mean, actually, it's interesting you should say that. Because uh, some beef are now being gen genetically modified to produce bourguignon on the bone, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so from little bits of shallots growing naturally... Uh, inside them, right, uh, with a little bit of uh, red wine. And they drink, they feed the cows on red wine, oh, right, and onions. Well, that's like much like like Kobe beef, isn't it? Yeah, and a little, uh, little, little bit of um, little bit of uh, pepper, ground mm. black pepper, and also the, each cow must eat a uh, bay leaf each day. Right. But then they will sit, just spit, they spit out the bay leaf, just gives an extra little bit of flavour. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, you wouldn't want to swallow a bay leaf. No, no, no. No, no. no one would want to swallow that. No. no. <laughs> Just put it back in, don't you? Yeah. It's a bit flavours it, gives it such flavour. Does it really? Can anyone prove that it flavours it? I can, because I'm doing a controlled experiment. <laughs> <laughs> of course you can, Paul. So beyond cooking, what else has been filling your time, Paul? Uh, going to London. Ah. Yes. On my day off, I went to London. I always do that every year. Because uh, most people are on their day off from the Edinburgh Festival would think, well, it's my day off, let's relax in Edinburgh. But I think, let's go to London and do a show. Right. <laughs> so what I did is I put on a show for all my uh, connoisseurs, as I call them, the members of my uh, club. And uh, it was um, based on Scottish themes. Ah. So it was a Scotland-themed show okay. in London. Because oh. I thought it was a nice counterbalance, because the show I'm doing here in Edinburgh 
contains no Scottish themes or references. Right. So it's nice to go to London halfway through the festival in Scotland mm. and do a Scotland theme show. What were the themes? Well, it was mainly based on lies around Scotland. <laughs> like uh, things that was uh, based on uh, a shortbread factory that okay. went into administration because they put in the wrong flavourings. Uh, a wedding that was ruined uh, when uh, it was to do with a man who was getting married in a kilt. Because right. well, I haven't got time to go into it. It takes about two hours to discuss it all. <laughs> but basically, you know when you're at a wedding and... Uh, you so obviously everyone enjoys the wedding it's nice to see them get married but part of you secretly wants to see uh, one or both of them being jilted at the altar yeah (laughs) but that is even more strong that feeling when uh, the the bridegroom is in full Scottish dress with the like a kilt and sporran and all that then you think yeah I really hope he's jilted at the altar (laughs) well I hope no more because I made it all up, you see, a story about it, and then I tell people it right, okay. for, in exchange for money. <coughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, listen, will you stick with us and help me to interview some of the other guests yeah, that we've got coming on? I will interview the others. Yes, you stick with me and help me do that. OK, next up, we've got another friend of the show, and she's made us smile on stage and in the pub, and what was once Canada's is now ours. Please welcome to the show, Dana Alexander. Are you all right? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm, I think I sound a little bit like a, you want fries with that. My voice is going <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. How have you been? Have you had a good fun summer? I think I have a little too much fun every summer, and that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's been your highlight? The highlight. I think the highlight was when uh, we did our one show and we set it up so that uh, we actually bust through paper when we got on the stage. That was like the funnest thing I've done all month. Busting through paper. I'm a simple girl. <laughs> Paul, is there anything you'd like to ask Dana? What is your favourite type of shoe? Do you prefer normal shoe or clog? I think I would have to go with the normal shoe. As soon as I put on a, a clog, people think I'm a drag queen. I'm a little too tall for clogs. But what about the noise of the clog? <laughs> That's private. Well, Paul, I've not seen you in clogs. Well, no, but I used to. When I was uh, five, I had, I had a dressing-up set. Yeah. And um, uh, there was, that was the early beginnings of my show business stirrings. Because right. I would get dressed up for all the family when I was five, like in um, like as a, a little Dutch girl. And I'd wear a Dutch hat and everything, and my Dutch clogs. Right. And a wooden clog and so on. I had a pair of clogs as well when I was little. We went to Holland when I was little, had a pair of clogs, and they were wooden. And like wooden, the whole thing wooden, wooden sole, wooden everything, like yeah. very, very uncomfortable. Complete, that's what Complete I had. wood, yeah. A wooden clog, like that. Very comfortable. Oh, I found them very uncomfortable. Well, mine was specifically moulded from my feet, you see. Ah, uh, mine were from a souvenir shop. Yeah, mine were too, but it was a magical souvenir shop where they carve it for your feet. Clock, that stayed with me for my life, and much of my humour now revolves around clogs. I've got a one-hour piece of humour on clogs. Okay, well, That's why I was interested to know whether you liked clogs or whether it had influenced your humour. <laughs> <laughs> but Dana, I tell you, what has your you've moved over from Canada now to London, that's right. And has that, how's that affected your comedy? Oh, wow. Well, uh, I have a lot of jokes about poverty now. <laughs> <laughs> 
but luckily I, I still live in Tottenham and there's nothing like a riot to bring down the prices. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, have you found it confusing living, uh, living over in London or I mean, have you adapted quite well? Yeah, it's confusing all the time. They take the piss all day, every day. Um, yeah, anything from like getting on a bus can even be complicated. I know it sounds simple, but like there's a lot of different rules here that you're not aware of and you just end up losing hemorrhaging money, really. Can you yeah. explain that in more detail, please, Dana? How do you hemorrhage money on the... I mean, I know one type of hemorrhaging money on the bus is if you go onto a night bus and then you've had a few drinks and you're on your way home and then in the morning you realise that you've given, you've given £200 in safekeeping to a man called Svensk. <laughs> oh, I'm never going to get that back. So that's one form. What other forms are there? When you pay the strippers at the top. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've never been to the top. Strippers at the top of the bus. <laughs> How many more shows have you still got to do? I have two more shows. I heard a good bit of advice earlier from Latch. said, tell your mind you've got three more. Okay. Tell your mind Thanks. you've got three good more Thanks and then you'll push, push it through. Cool. You know, wildness. Well, Dana, stick with us. My next guest has a wonderful way with words. She's a writer, a Jehovah's Witness survivor, and a fantastic stand-up comedian. Please welcome Deborah Francis White to the show. Uh, hi. Hello, Richard. Hi, how are you? Hello, Paul. Hello, Dana. I'm very well. I'm surprisingly well. Yes? Yes, considering that I haven't been to bed before 5am for some weeks. Right. Uh, yeah, no, surprisingly bright. And where are you on the great clog debate? <laughs> oh, Fuck clogs. I don't know. Not fan. They told me to say fuck. Is that right? <laughs> you know, no, that's okay. I'm yeah, just, yeah. I'm not bothered about the language. It's no. more the sentiment towards the yeah. clog. No, I. Th <laughs> no, they anger me a bit because they're they're made. You know, they're made for men's feet. Like so much in this world is made for men. Similarly, the clog was originally made for men, and women were forced to wear them as a punishment in Amsterdam in the early Middle Ages. I didn't know all this. I was rather shown up by someone who's done the academic research. Yeah. Yeah, they're just part of your patriarchy, Paul. You know, Paul's such a fucking alpha male, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, he's just boom, 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 do you know what I mean? He's like always, you know, with the with the big I am and the you know, he's sort of swaggering around Edinburgh, like bragging about all the ladies and giving it all this, carrying a piece, oh, carry a piece, oh, carry a piece. That's Paul Foot packing heat. <laughs> I use clogs to keep my wife down, as it were. We both have to walk around in clogs, but She's in agony, of course. Yeah, well, as I point out, they're yeah. unsuited to women, as you've mentioned, yeah, Deborah. Yeah. But it's like it's like Japanese foot binding. I mean, it's just a very cruel practice. But you're a very cruel what, man. because they're very tight. The Genghis Khan of the fringe, they call him, Paul <laughs> Foot. He's he's you know he's a he's a he's a he's a virtual sadist. Oh, I see. Oh, that's not the reason my wife has the problem with the clogs. My hers fit her perfectly. But it's with her, it's to do with the balance. You're you a liar, Paul Foot. You're a liar. You have a wife? No. <laughs> In my imagination, I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> Nearly everything I say is lies. Anyway, I, as I just pointed out, you're a liar. <laughs> I'm a liar, but my wife... No, a anyway, fantasist at best, Yes, really. yes, well, sort of... I think um, if I wasn't doing comedy, I'd probably be done a psychiatrist. Right. You'd sure probably be a, a psychiatrist or seeing a psychiatrist. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'd probably uh, work for a psychiatrist, maybe as a contract cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but sort of always feeling bitter, sort of thinking, thinking, 
I wish I could be either the psychiatrist making a load of money or at least be rich enough to be one of the psychiatrist's patients. Instead, all I can do is just eavesdrop occasionally when I've got my mop going round and I can just hear them saying things like, yes, you've had bad experiences in your childhood that have affected your sexuality. And I think, oh, mate, does that, is that relevant to me? I'm not sure. Then I just go and get my J-cloth. That's probably what I do. What did happen to you in your childhood, Paul? <laughs> Well, surprisingly little. <laughs> nothing. In fact, almost nothing. I've had to make is, it up. Is I've this had... the result of a boring childhood, Paul? Yeah, oh, that's Beware, that... parents. Beware. <laughs> Excite your children daily. <laughs> Deborah, I, want, I do actually want to ask you uh, about your show, about being a, a, a... It's called Cult Following. Yes. Yes, and it is about being a Jehovah's Witness survivor. Mm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, survive. I don't say survivor. I mean, it was a. It's a. It is. A, it is definitely a cult. But I. I, I don't want to make it dramatic. Yeah, like you didn't, I've at come any out point of, you were not facing death. No, no, no. Uh, shunning at worst. Um, it's a. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, basically, I got involved in it when I. My, when I was fourteen, my parents decided we should all become Jehovah's Witnesses, presumably because they thought adolescence was an ideal time to join a mind-controlling cult. <laughs> turns out it is when you're a teenager you're very your brain's very plastic so it's an excellent time to get into heavy metal or ketamine or jesus um so uh so yeah we all joined up and we had one because you know jehovah's witnesses aren't allowed christmas Mm. um we had one last family christmas because we knew we were getting baptized we thought we'll have one last hurrah to christmas which we shouldn't have done you know you're not meant to know it's like one more time you're meant to know it's wrong and then stop but we didn't uh, we, we had a secret Christmas and because when the Jehovah's Witnesses would come round all the time to study the Bible with us so we had to hide the Christmas tree in my brother's bedroom I know it was really sad last time we were happy as a family um, and, uh, and I remember gave, giving my, my mother a, a Jehovah's Witness edition of the Bible <laughs> which is definitely not the thing you're meant to do for Christmas um, so yeah it was, a, it was a really kind of fraught time uh, but I, I still feel slightly resentful that I was, I, I was allowed to be baptised at 16 because that, that was two years. It was, I was a minor, two years before I was allowed to vote or drink, as it turned out was a moot point. Um, <laughs> I'm not allowed to vote or get drunk anyway. But I, I, find, I found that and sort of, if I look back on that, as a grown-up, I might have made a different decision. And did you have to go knocking on doors? Oh, God, I was, I was a proper, proper... Well, I was like an uber Jehovah's Witness. I was Jehovah's Witness special branch. Um, <laughs> no, I was, because most Jehovah's Witnesses just knock on doors on, no, on their day off, like a Saturday or a Sunday morning My or something. I would take them in and try and convert them back. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, you joking. come to our door. Yeah. Uh, then we'll talk. I always find that the Jehovah's Witnesses go away if they notice in the background I'm sacrificing a goat. <laughs> Is that how you got out of it? Indeed, most people go away. <laughs> Indeed, I haven't received any posts for three years. <laughs> but I have got a number of goats. You've still got a couple more shows to do, have you, Deborah? I do. I have a show uh, today at 4.15 at uh, Assembly Roxy and tomorrow at 4.15 at Assembly Roxy, Cult Following. And I'm also doing a late night show, uh-huh. last one tonight, which is called um, Voice, The Voices in Your Head, where I sit up the back of the room and play uh, The Voice of God. And then comedians come out and performers and actors and they don't know anything about the show. And then I give them um, sort of instructions. So... 
uh, I'm just a disembodied voice, so I might say code word red or something, and then someone in the audience might come out with angel's wings and put them on the performer. Um, and then I'll just say, how long have you been an angel? And I'll kind of interrogate them for a bit, and then we might go into a scene. You'd be brilliant at this, Paul and Dana. You should come and play. Um, we're going to do a run in London. It's called Voices in Your Head. Paul, I fear having you on it, because I have no idea how I would control you. <laughs> I wouldn't, is the answer. I'm surprisingly professional, Deborah. <laughs> 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 Maybe I'm not concentrating properly. I don't get it. <laughs> I, I think I think you're not concentrating properly. These people get it. Could someone Did explain it, it to Richard, please? It's so, a, so a comedian goes on stage. Yeah. So then five, you, five and comedians. Then you shout things out. To oh them. no, I'm on a microphone. There's no shouting. Okay. Um, five comedians come out to the stage and they they sit down. It, it, they sit down on the stage. Okay. And then I'll sit up the back and I'll say, you know, welcome performers to the stage. They can't see me. I'm just a disembodied okay. voice. So for them, the ah. experience is sitting on stage, hearing a voice going. Right. Um, welcome to the stage. And then I might say, Phil Jupiter's to the stage, please. And then Phil Jupiter's has to come out into the middle of the stage. Right. And then I might say, six, six, six. And six people in the front row all stand up with a garden gnome. And they put it around Phil Jupiter's and someone gets up and puts a hat on his head. And I say, I say, why do the other garden gnomes hate you? What? How did you come up with the and then, and then and then he'll Sinister. yeah yeah and then uh, you know then he'll say ambition um, they don't like they don't like it I'm ambitious and they want to keep me down actually that wasn't Phil Jupiter it was Hannibal Buress oh, wow. <laughs> um, but yeah it's really it's really exciting because they have no idea what the experience is so they're looking around and they just have to answer that question um, sounds really good is that something you'd fancy Dana <laughs> yeah is that something you'd fancy doing Dana uh, yeah I'm just really I thought he was the oddest one here <laughs> no I know I know how do I I look comparatively sane don't I yeah. I know but I'm a performer let's be clear I mean we're all basically insane. I was going to ask you as well, Deborah, about uh, you writing a book at the moment. Is that right? Are you writing a book about comedy? Oh, yes, I am. Yeah. How did you know that? I was talking to somebody you might be working with on it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Marsha. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Marsha Marcia. Marcia um, and I got tattoos last night. No. Really? Yes. Stop it. I've been no. wanting a tattoo for ages. Is wow. This Richard, is how I'm choosing it. to tell my dad. Um, <laughs> oh, a microphone. Oh, that's there. lovely. Yeah. It's yeah. not real. Oh, is it not? No. Oh, that's yeah. disappointing. Yeah, she was telling me about the book. It sounds fascinating. Yeah, um, it's called Off the Mic, and it's um, it's about comedians and their processes. So we've got different sections in this book. Um, so we're going to interview lots and lots and lots of comedians and then write down, um, you know, bits from each interview and then sort of have a, se end, a sort of essay at the end about different processes. So one is sort of like about inspiration, like getting something out of nothing. Like where do comedians get their ideas? Like some people will just sit on the chair. Alcohol, I thought. Yeah, and, alcohol. Uh, well, see, for you, yeah. that would be your answer. Where do you get your ideas, Paul? Well, just lies, isn't it? <laughs> Make things up. But where do you, do you get your inspiration? Do you, could you sit on the tube or, or on a train or something and just see a thing and then just go, oh, that's a thing? I normally find that... Uh, if I'm uh, travelling in luxury, I have good ideas. Right. That's my method. Mine come on the toilet all the time. Really? Yeah, all the time. So it's a book that anyone who loves comedy could read, but if you wanted to do comedy, it would be really interesting because you, you'd think, oh, this is an interesting bit of process. Um, so can we interview you so both? Sounds great. Mm. Great. Well, listen, give it up for our panel. <laughs> so now we're going to move on. Thanks very much, guys. Thank you. Right, OK, this podcast is about to get kicked in the guts. A force of comedy nature is about to take the stage. Please welcome 
one of my all-time favourite stand-up comedians, Mr. Benny Boot. Um, I'll do some jokes for you, okay? Uh, yeah, I know, it's a coincidence, isn't it? <laughs> uh, I'm going to do about five jokes for you. Uh, they're going to take about a minute and a half each. With laughter. <laughs> so it should be done in about five. Um, it's cool. I'm going to deliver most of my jokes in a spontaneous manner to make them seem like they're all fresh and off the cuff and all improvised and shit. But I assure you, ladies and gentlemen, they've all been very well rehearsed <laughs> and scripted. So here we go, joke number one. <laughs> it's called the back of truck. Sometimes I see these signs on the back of trucks which say, if you cannot see my mirrors, I cannot see you. It's like a warning, don't get too close. But whenever I see those signs, folks, I immediately run up to behind the truck. And if I can't see his mirrors, I start unloading slash stealing his shit. <laughs> you guys want to know the scariest thing that's ever happened to me? One night I went to bed, and the next morning I woke up inside my duvet cover. That was fucking terrifying. <laughs> I was scared, I didn't have, there was no walls, there were no exits. It was like, where the hell am I? Two hours it took me to get out. And when I did, I was in Ikea. <laughs> when I die, I want to be cremated. I want to be cremated when I die. But on the morning before I pass away, I'm going to eat a kilo of raw popcorn kernels. <laughs> There's this girl that I liked and I wanted to let her know how much I liked her. Now back in the day I would have just made her a mixtape, you know, I would have filled that mixtape up both sides with love songs. But cassettes are not around anymore these days. So, I made her a mixed USB stick <laughs> full of 50,000 love songs. <laughs> and she responded <laughs> with a restraining order. <laughs> I'll leave you on this last bit of advice. My dad gave me this advice because I get quite nervous coming up on here and I would have to drink just to come up on stage in front of you but I don't drink anymore because my dad rang me and he gave me some simple advice which I'll pass on to you he said Benny you need to stop this you need to live every day like it's your last and it has helped and now every morning I wake up extra early and I call all my friends, <laughs> sobbing and crying. <laughs> Tell them I'm sorry and I'm fucking scared. <laughs> and then I go into the kitchen and I eat some raw popcorn kernels. <laughs>
Thanks, Benny. Benny Boot, ladies and gentlemen. Have a seat, Benny. Have a seat. Oh, that was that was absolutely beautiful. Thanks, dude. Thank you. You I had, are like so much clog shit ready in my head, but they're all gone now. <laughs> and I had like all all callbacks to everything. You, why is your show called Defcon Four? Um, it was just called Def. It's a reference to a joke last year. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> of course it is. Callback. Double callback. Callback to a callback. Oh my god! See, you just sorted silver. <laughs> yeah. Basically, it's like it's Defcon Four. I would have. Um, if a joke didn't work, I would then say, I'd pull out my list like this. This is my jokes for today, see? And I'd say, see, this is a list of my jokes. Now at the bottom here, I've got two jokes here at the bottom with little asterisks written next to them. And these are my DEFCON 4 jokes. So if the shit goes sour, then I would bust out DEFCON 4 and save the day. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised how often I use them. <laughs> and then I would say, I've already used them. <laughs> Let the listeners know that there's paper here. How many more shows have you got to do? Two more. Three more in your mind. No, I've got I've got forty more. <laughs> Call back. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, well stick with us. Now we're gonna be joined now on stage by well actually BBC Royalty. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the very glamorous Janet Ellis. <laughs> Janet, Benny, Benny, Janet. Hi there. I've got a tattoo. Is that is you? not real? Mine's not real. No, I really want to get uh, one though. But the the thing that's stopping me from getting a t- tattoo is yeah. having a conversation. My daughter's six, and I can just imagine having a conversation with her in about eight years when, she, like, saying, "No, you can't oh. get Justin Bieber tattooed on your thigh," oh. you know, and she'd be, "But you've got a tattoo." See, I'm the I want my kids to get. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Sophie so far has got a tattoo. Has she? What's yeah. her tattoo? It's um, a big heart on right. the side of her arm with a scroll going through it, and that scroll says family. Oh, you really see? Really nice. That's very nice. Mine's I a heard... little bird just here. Oh, he's, oh, that is like you see. It's funny because my my temptation is to go for classic tattoo yeah. art, and and I, and I thought about a big. Uh, heart with a dagger through it, you know, like one of those. <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of something along those lines, but it seems I'm not sure if I've quite got the biceps to pull it off. <laughs> but we could. Uh, I thought you could always leave the scroll empty, and then you could just write in what you wanted in felt pen and rub it off, so it wouldn't have to be like permanent. I, I was gonna, I was gonna get a tattoo on my wrist. Yeah, which just said admission paid, because then I get the nightclubs. <laughs> <laughs> nice, like nice. that. It's a little joke. <laughs> I've got to ask you, um, because I'm sure you get asked about this all the time, but obviously Blue Peter. I want to talk to you about Blue Peter. Because uh, you presented Blue Peter when I was, uh, you know, you're not very much older than me. You know, you must have been incredibly young when you presented it. But almost, I mean, almost in my playpen. Really. Yeah. yeah. Did, I mean, how long did you work on that show? Four years. Four years. And do you think it's got the same impact now? Because, I mean, back then, I mean, my kids, for example, have got no yeah. concept of TV schedules. You know, yeah, they've exactly. got the red button and the iPlayer and all that, so they've got no idea when things are on or, no, that's or that. True. And there's I mean, so much choice We there. had a lot more control. Yeah. It was us and the other lot, and where are they now? That's all I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> Mag- but what were the sort of viewing figures? <laughs> what were... The viewing figures averaged <laughs> six million each show. Six million. And they went up to about... 14-ish for the big ones like the appeals program around Christmas that sort of time yeah did it ever go badly wrong when you were on live I mean how did you cope with that <laughs> yeah of course it did. but we did once um, reunite uh, a family of cats a woman had written a really lovely book about a 
It's got a horrible ending, this story. Brace, Don't laugh at this, Penny. This is my brace. childhood here. Okay. okay. This is real. Oh, dear. Sorry. But th- this woman had written a lovely book about a family of cats, which she had, uh, as kittens, photographed them in sort of stop animation. It was gorgeous, really lovely. And then, of course, they'd all gone off to their separate homes. When the book was published, we decided to reunite the cats with their mummy in the studio. But, of course, to keep it real, we didn't rehearse with the cats. They were just in there baskets and when we let them out their cages to reunite them they fought each other violently <laughs> and the woman who'd written the book got genuine stitches for a gash in her arm and one of them went up into the lighting rig and never is it still there is it still there well, it never came down oh phantom of the down. opera catch <laughs> it's probably got a big scarred up face and everything you're still doing the program you know that you were not allowed you have to stand this but we were not allowed to deviate from the script at all you know there was just no quarter given for that you know, it, was, it was like a cardinal offence so we were still trying to do the program with these cats and actually all of us holding an individual cat which was desperate to kill its brother so it was it was quite yeah, it was a hard show to do actually Janet Ellis thank you very much <laughs> Indeed, and Benny Boo, thank you very much indeed, guys. Thank you. The honour of, of closing my final show goes to a great friend who's clever, funny, witty and gifted with the guitar. I could go on, but Father Time is tapping his clipboard. Please give an exuberant and explosive welcome to Latch. having a little bit of difficulty because uh, Benny Boot asked to use my guitar and I didn't realize he was going to be strumming the exact same chords that I planned to be playing. Thanks, Benny. But, uh, and like Deborah, it was weird because uh, I wasn't the Jehovah's Witness, but I was in the Jehovah's Witness protection program. <laughs> Nobody tried to find me. And then I started my own spiritual path by, um, studying the works of Deepak Chopra, you know, the Indian mystic guru consciousness guy. And uh, to balance it, I, I was uh, reading the works of the great philosopher Tupac Shakur. <laughs> so, you know, I, I ordered from Amazon.com a, a videotape series from them, but they got my order messed up and um, I started getting tapes from a guy named uh, Tupac Chopra. And uh, the first tape they sent me was called uh, The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success and Shit. And next month they're sending me The Enlightened Ho, which I'm looking forward to reading. But uh, I'm gonna end on an old New York folk song. I'm from New York City, but I've moved to Edinburgh. I live here now for a year. Uh, If you know this song, feel free. Can the audience sing on on this podcast? Oh, cool. If you know this song, please come on in. Here she comes You better watch your step Is she gonna break your heart in two? It's true Not hard to realize Just take a look into her false colored eyes She'll bring you up, bring you right down like Kathy's clown, but everybody knows the thing she does to me. She's such a little tease. Check out the way that she walks, the way that she talks.
room I'm feeling so much love I'm gonna step out and try an improv Cause it's the last day of the fringe And I finally found a rhyme for orange <laughs> I see her every day Hanging at the Podcast Cafe Ah, oh, she's such a mystery But me, I don't like mysteries So being a sort of poetic kind of guy I got my own private library I take them spiral steps One, two, three Like a modern day Diogenes yeah, I got everything up there. I got some Baudelaire, some Voltaire, some Moliere. Oh, looky there, some of her old underwear. Woo. I got everything from Elvis P to Elvis C. Oh, I got me some Bo Diddley, yeah. I take down the book of love, and it doesn't say one thing I'm thinking of. I take down the book of wisdom, read it line by line, and say one damn thing. That's on my mind So quiet as a mouse I went to her house In my Rolls Royce Cause it's good for my voice mm. That's a tip to Mark Boland And I tippy-toe past her mama's eyes Right past her papa's lies Into her room She's got this pink cotton candy room I reached into her drawers I found what I was looking for mm, I found her book She's got this black leather book I was number 37 I took a look Yeah, that's cold Hey boy She's from the street before you start that anti-folk beat, huh? Is she gonna play you like a fool? Yeah, sucker, it's true. But everybody knows the thing she does to me. She's such a little tease. Check out the way she walks. The cute way she talks. Hey, Latch, what are you doing after the show? She a femme fatale. She's a femme fatale. Your turn. She's a femme fatale. 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 Thank you. That is us. I, I really hope you've enjoyed listening to these as much as we've enjoyed making them. We've had nearly 150 performers on this stage entertaining us here in Ermintrude at the Underbelly. She's been a wonderful host, as have all the boys and girls here at this venue. We couldn't have done any of it without their support, so thanks very much to them. If you've enjoyed what you've heard so far, the best thing you could do is get out of the house and see some live comedy and some live music. I've been Richard Melvin, and you've been amazing. Cheers.
The E4 Underbelly podcast was a Dabster production in association with Screen High and The Underbelly.